Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the remarkable story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode 100 Years of Shuffle Along, Part 2. This is the second part of my conversation with author Cassin Gaines, whose fascinating new book, Footnotes, the black artist who rewrote the rules of the Great White Way, tells the story of how in 1921, four talented and determined young black vaudevillians, Noble Sissel, Eubie Blake, Floynoy Miller, and Aubrey Lyles, against incredible odds, teamed up to produce a runaway Broadway hit that ushered in a vibrant decade of black musicals on Broadway. If you missed the first episode in this series, you may want to go back and listen to that before continuing with this one. Although we now know that Shuffle Along became a giant, unprecedented hit, no one, except for possibly the show's four creators, would have expected that it would have any chance for success. There had not been a black musical on Broadway in more than 10 years, and as I understand it, Cassin, some people were even suggesting that if Shuffle Along opened, it might incite a race war, especially because the show included a love story, a black romantic couple, and a love song that was played seriously rather than for laughs. Yes, there were actually telegrams sent to the producers saying that race war could quite literally break out. And the reason is, I don't mean to suggest all, but there were certainly people, even in liberal New York, even in 1921, who believed that Black people were inherently different than white people believed that Black people's primary function in American society was to entertain, and that meant to be laughed at. And so it was quite possible for there to be romance on stage that was played for humor, but to be played sincerely was heresy, was absolute heresy. And so it's astonishing to think about this show touring South Carolina Alabama, Georgia during this time. But I think one of the things that the the writers did that was very creative and important 
was they also had those concessions in terms of blackface comedy, in terms of antebellum humor. There were those elements that also were pacifying to a white audience in 1921. And because the show did both, it enabled the show to succeed. You know, Floyd Miller said, blackface was the bait to draw them in. And once inside, they would appreciate our fine art. And I think that that was borne out to be true. So the show was really quite subversive in its own way. You could say it gave the audience just enough of what they expected to see and hear, and then slipped in some fairly revolutionary and subversive content. Yeah, and I think because the show was clean, it wasn't preachy, it was just entertaining. And I think that white audiences were shocked by it. They were shocked by how much they enjoyed it. One of the things that surprised me is the number of times that the creators of Shuffle Along used the word propaganda and openly acknowledged that they basically had an anti-racist social change agenda in producing these shows. I wasn't surprised so much that that was their intention, but I was very surprised to hear them talk about it so openly. Yeah, and I'll even pull back a little bit further and say I was surprised at how Jim Europe used it as well. I mean, Jim Europe was very clear in telegraphing that he was going to unionize Black musicians, make sure they had fair wages, make sure they had health care. They were never going to wear blackface. They were always going to have proper accommodations when they played. And his goal was to create an all-Negro symphony orchestra. It is amazing to me that we, 100 years later, still approach conversations about race with almost like a contract. All of these ground rules have to be established. You have to make sure everyone understands and agrees to the ground rules. You have to warn people that they may feel discomfort, and that's okay. And, And we have to do all of this work And yet, a hundred years ago, you had Black artists saying, theater is our ministry, essentially. We are evangelists who are going to use musical theater as a way to change hearts and minds towards the Negro in this country. And they are telegraphing this in newsprint, in syndicated articles throughout the United States. And essentially, no one bats an eye. No one says what's going on here. No one says, let's stop going to these shows. No one says there's some liberal agenda. People just say, if that's what your goal is, then good luck with it. You know, W.E.B. Du Bois is is quoted in footnotes, not directly. I did not summon him. <laughs> but um, but he's, <laughs> you know, that, that, let me tell you something, that would be my best one ever. Um, <laughs> but Du Bois is quoted in footnotes saying, there are two kinds of race prejudice in this world. One are people who are just ignorant to the plight of Black people. They have not been exposed. They have not read. They have not heard. They only know what they read in the papers or what they see in films like Birth of a Nation or something like that. And that's it. The other are white people who know better and are in positions where they can expose white people to Black people. And he was speaking specifically about Shuffle Along and the major white theater owners not booking this show. This show played on 63rd Street because it was the only house they could get. And even when they toured throughout the United States, it was always independent theaters. And so Du Bois said he really felt like this show 
was significant in the movement for civil rights because it was good, clean entertainment that whites could enjoy and not just could enjoy, wanted to enjoy, sought it out. It sold out, you know, everywhere. But there still were limitations with some people having access to it. You mentioned that the Schuberts and Abraham Erlanger, the most powerful theater owners of that day, they owned multiple theaters both in New York and across the country, and they would not book Shuffle Along into their theaters. Even though it was making more money on Broadway than practically any other show, and this was during a very depressed time in show business. Right, and one can speculate as to why that is. Shuffle Along was a show with very little overhead, and so I feel like I should acknowledge this. It was never the number one show on Broadway, but because of the minimal expense, it was the most profitable show on Broadway. And because it was so simple to put up, it could tour. It could tour anywhere. It could play in almost any house. When smart, savvy, pretty ruthless businessmen repeatedly turned down the most profitable show of the day, the only reason they can be doing that is racism. It's as simple as that, because it goes against everything that those men who ran the industry were all about. I don't see how it could be categorized any other way. I, I think by any objective standard, one has to draw that conclusion. Even so, in spite of all of that, Footnotes is filled with joyous stories of Black artists, especially Black women artists, who triumphed during this period. Share with us a few of those that most captivated you. I think Florence Mills is a fascinating character. There initially was more of her in the book as well. And if you read footnotes and you fall in love with her, like I fell in love with her, I encourage you to seek out more about her. In terms of Black performers in the 20s, she was to England what Josephine Baker was to Paris. And, and that really is the comparison. I would even say even someone like Sophie Tucker, who is not a Black performer, but she plays a, a pivotal part in this story as well. And the Black Patty is someone else who comes up early on in the book. You know, there are just so many performers that were breaking ground in not just the 1920s, but the book really starts in the late 1800s and goes to the 1952 in the proper portion of the book. And then we kind of jump ahead of time a little bit. But I was just in awe of all of these people. And I just kept envisioning what it must have been like to be at a place like Connie's Inn, to be at the Cotton Club. There is a club that... The name is escaping me right now, but I write about it in the Black Bohemian chapter of the book where it was this restaurant that was in a brownstone that jazz musicians would go and dancers would go. And it was just sort of like a night spot, but just for performers and poets and artists. And they would try out material and they would create over drinks and dinner. And it was just the atmosphere at that time in an incredibly depressed New York. They were still coming out of the 1980s pandemic. They were coming out of the First World War. Prohibition was newly established and decimated New York's economy. The women's movement did not begin in the 60s. It certainly started significantly earlier. And so you had divorce rates skyrocketing in 1920. You had the rise of the flapper. You had the 19th Amendment. You know, there were all of these things happening culturally in New York City at this time. And like, 
out of the ether, this little ramshackle show invigorates or reinvigorates the city. It's not an overstatement to say that, you know, one of the things that I write about in the book is just a couple of weeks after Shuffle Along's opening, there were reviews for the show as far out as Kentucky, because there were people that just happened to be traveling in New York when the show opened and came back and wrote to their local paper to say, if you are ever in the New York area, you must go see this show. So it was just incredibly revolutionary, especially with like half of Broadway was dark in 1921 when the show opened. I love the way that throughout the book, you continuously tie in all of the social history of New York and America during the several periods that you deal with in this book. One of the things that I try to do with this podcast and through my teaching is make it clear that these Broadway musicals don't exist in a vacuum. Not only are they representative of the social and political changes that are happening in the culture during their time, they often aid and abet and inspire those changes. And Shuffle Along certainly did all of that. You can't separate them. And I don't think that this story that I wanted to tell would have worked for me if I just said this show is really important because of jazz and dancing and etc. I think you really had to explain this show is important because of where America was at this time. That's what made the show significant, not just the score and the dancing. Those were the cherries on top. They were not the Sunday. Wonderful. In honeysuckle time. In honeysuckle time. Talking about Emmeline. We're talking about Miss Emmeline. She said she's gonna be mine. Emmeline gonna be mine. And in that wedding line. In that wedding line. There'll be no hesitating. Cause the preacher will. When that knot is tied. When the knot is tied. All the fellows will be jealous and feeling kind of rough uh-huh. when they see me and Miss Emmeline. I strutting, I stuff hot dog, my son. We gonna knock on coal. We gonna work our weight in gold in harness. The time, circle time, when Emmeline says she'll be mine, says she'll be mine. Don't go away. Broadway Nation will be back right after this short break. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Factor as a sponsor to Broadway Nation this week. This spring, you can eat stress-free with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or my personal choice, Vegan and Veggie. You can also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunches, snacks, and beverages that'll help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. 
If you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. These are no-fuss, no-muss meals, and Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. You simply heat and savor the good stuff. And you can tailor it all to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can pause or reschedule the deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast, premium meals without the need for cooking. And we're celebrating Earth Day all month long at Factor, so look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box. That's code BN50, as in Broadway Nation, BN50 at factormeals.com BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Do it now. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The immediate impact and influence of Shuffle Along was tremendous. The music and dancing were quickly emulated and replicated all across Broadway in reviews like The Ziegfeld Follies and The George White Scandals and musical comedies such as Lady Be Good and No No Nanette. Most importantly, over the next decade, more than 20 musicals created by and starring black artists opened on Broadway, including several by the authors of Shuffle Along. As happens in so many show business stories, the heady overnight success of the show and the sudden wealth that it brought to its creators eventually led to Miller and Lyle splitting from Cecil and Blake, with each pair going their separate ways and competing with each other with rival Broadway productions. Following their lead was an entire generation of young black artists such as James P. Johnson, Cecil Mack, Henry Creamer, J. Turner Layton, and Fats Waller. Cassine, a few moments ago, you mentioned Elida Webb, who starts out as one of those much-acclaimed chorus dancers in Shuffle Along and then becomes the choreographer of Miller and Lyle's musical Runnin' Wild. The show that popularizes the Charleston. It does, yep. And not only does it popularize the Charleston, and I appreciate your wording there because she did not create the Charleston, but it was a social dance that had grown out of black culture in Charleston, South Carolina. In the Great Migration, people came up to New York. And so in her telling of it, she would see kids dancing in the streets and she approached them and said, what is this dance? And they said, it's just a dance we do. And she said, well, where are you from? And they said, Charleston. And that was good enough for her. So that dance in particular, 
ended up being something that there were lots of people that tried to lay claim to having created it, which is the plight of Black artists forever. You know, Jimmy Early in Dreamgirls, who, you know, he was the first to do <laughs> to do everything. The other thing that I should probably mention is a show The Chocolate Dandies, which was a Cicel and Blake show that rivaled Running Wild. This is after the two teams have split up and are now doing separate shows and competing with each other. And they're both they're both doing them kind of as hired hands for white producers. So for Shuffle Along, they were co-owners of that show, which is really significant. And then they end up being just on the payroll for Runnin' Wild, which is Miller and Lyles' show, and Chocolate Dandies, which is Cicel and Blake's show. So they kind of pulled the people they wanted. So Josephine Baker, for example, went with Miller and Lyles. And this was a show that was a splashy, big-budget musical. They had three live horses in the show. <laughs> Beautiful costumes, great sets. And it was a show that was criticized, actually, for being too white of a show, for being too too beautiful, too polished, too well done. There was one reviewer in particular who said there was too much art and not enough Africa. So while there were these many shows that came up, very few were revered in the same way that Shuffle Along was. And that's in part because Shuffle Along was a novelty. It was the only one when it came out. But there are so many adaptations that these all-Black shows started to almost just become caricatures of the previous show to the point where, as, as we talked about before, Miller and Lyle's playing the same characters in multiple shows. And there was a whole slew of what they called plantation reviews, which were just these like floor shows that were these antebellum, really kind of almost overtly racist, stereotypical shows. But they were these popular attractions that popped up just to sort of capitalize on this desire for Black shows. Yeah, that description that you include of that nightclub, the the plantation nightclub, is truly horrifying. It's horrifying, and it's funny because I just kind of wrote it straight, and my editor was like, was this as mortifying for you to write as, as it was for me to read? So I put something in just to sort of suggest that, yes, I am also mortified by it. It's not just the facts here, but it's amazing to see what was acceptable. You know, what was okay, what was acceptable, and also what was in some ways necessary to do as a means to an end to open doors for other Black performers and to just make a living themselves. Yeah. What do you have to swallow to get where you're trying to go? And is it worth it? And I think that all four of the creators of Shuffle Along would say that it was worth it. But I think over time, people, Black and white people, started to wonder if it in fact was worth it. From the luxury of the future, they started to wonder if exactly. it was worth yes. it. Exactly, yes. From walking through doors that had been opened, right. And while I certainly understand that kind of view of it, any criticism, I think, has to be tempered with putting yourself in the shoes of the person who was dealing with those issues at the time. And I think that, frankly, some of that criticism really diminishes the work of the individual performers. When you look at someone like Hattie McDaniel, who, of course, was the first Black woman to win an Oscar for Gone with the Wind, to discount her performance, to me, almost feels like you don't think that she is acting. 
it's almost an acknowledgement that you believe that she is the stereotype that she is playing as opposed to someone who is actually doing work. You know, the same can be said of Stephen Fetchett. The same can be said of Billy Thomas, who played Buckwheat in the Our Gang comedies. There are these figures that have, at different moments in our history, been sort of told that they should be best kept in a vault for the sake of progress. And while I understand that, I also think that what is happening now on services like HBO Max, where they they make these things available, but put some context around it, is the right way to go about it, not to erase it, because then you end up with generations of people believing that 2016 is the most diverse season in Broadway history. And what does that mean? I so wish we had a time machine and could go back and see Miller and Lyles in performance, even though we might be somewhat horrified by some of what they did. But I guess we have a sense of what they did because they inspire the radio and TV show Amos and Andy, or probably more accurately, Amos and Andy ripped them off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, Flournoy Miller ends up writing for Amos and Andy, which is just amazing. I think that was the other thing that was astonishing to me, too. I take no offense, quote unquote, when people feel like Footnotes is a work of theater, is a theater book, certainly. But I was amazed as I was writing it at how much these performers intersected not only with the stage, but radio, television, motion pictures. Flournoy Miller said at that time, Black folks were not typed. They could do whatever they wanted to do because everyone was a first. Everyone was trying it out. And so there were kind of no rules in that regard. And I think you get to see that beautifully through the eyes of these four performers. How long did it take you to write footnotes? Um, Longer than my publisher wanted. (laughs) So I, I will be honest, I'll answer it this way. I've been working on the book since 2017. However, I did a lot of research. I did a lot of outlining. I had to try and figure out what story I wanted to tell. Obviously, my main goal was I wanted to tell the history of Shuffle Along. And that is certainly at the nucleus of the book. But then I think it grew into kind of me wanting to do more than just that. So it was a lot of scraps of paper and and (laughs) my desk was crazy. But... The vast majority of the writing of the book, I would say probably 80 to 85% of the writing of the book was actually all while we were quarantined, believe it or not. So I had gotten all of my ducks in a row and thank God I, I had because I wouldn't have been able to go to any libraries or any museums or anything. I don't know what I would have done, but I had amassed everything that I needed. And then the actual writing of it really began probably in late February of 2020. So actually, as books go, it was a fairly quick writing process. Yes, and I'm still amazed by it. But I can truly say I was blessed that I I didn't have any family members that became seriously ill. I did have some that contracted COVID, but it was mild cases, things like that. But I was really thankful that the, the world had sort of stopped for a moment. And I was able to 
use that time to really focus on telling the story. And then I have to say, out of this tragedy of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's deaths, that significantly altered the book, I think, because it really led me to not just telling stories of war, but also telling stories of these soldiers returning from war and the violence that they faced. The violence that Black folks experienced in that period really became more of a character, particularly to the first third of the book, because of what was going on in 2020 at the time. So I was obviously gutted that it had happened, but I was able to use all of those emotions to better tell the story. That, again, underlines that these musicals are not just relics of history. Very often, they're very closely related to what's happening in our world today. Is there any aspect of footnotes that we've not touched on so far and that you want to make sure that our listeners know about? I, I think it's interesting also to look at the 1933 and 1952 revivals of Shuffle Along. The show has never been on Broadway in its 1921 version since that show closed. And I don't want to spoil it because I think it's really interesting what happened with those shows. But if you don't know about the 1933 and 1952 productions, you you owe it to yourself to look into it because I think in the failures of those productions, you learn something about what made the original production so successful and also why Shuffle Along has sort of been relegated to a footnote to history. Generally, I'm a very optimistic and positive person, but I love writing about tragedies. And so that 1952, both of them, the 1933 and 1952 productions were just great to write about, even though they were heartbreaking in lots of regards <laughs> to write about. Well, thankfully, the story has at least one happy ending, and that's U.B. Blake's extraordinary comeback in the 1970s, when he's almost 100 years old, but still very much alive to enjoy his rediscovery by ragtime historians and ultimately by Broadway as well. It doesn't take all of the sting out of the tragedies that came before it, but it certainly helps. Absolutely. And it's funny, I had someone ask me the other day, would you say that this is a positive story? Do you want readers to leave feeling good or feeling like there's work to do? And I, I said, um, both. I think you can feel good, and I think you can also feel like there is work to do. One thing that I took away from reading footnotes was, on the positive side, knowing that we've achieved this kind of access and representation on Broadway several times in the past, we certainly should be able to do it again. But on the negative side, frustration and anger that comes from seeing how we keep letting progress slip away and be reversed— my university students are always a bit thrown for a loop when I talk about these several different eras of black musicals and black artists on Broadway. They tend to think that progress only moves forward and are surprised to see that often after it moves forward, it then goes backwards and gets reversed. This is, of course, the system at work. To me, it's the retention issue. We are in this moment now where we are celebrating black authors and entertainers, and it seems like every black person in Hollywood has a 
deal with some studio and all of that is well and good. But I, I do wonder, will that be the case five years from now? Will that be the case 10 years from now? I mean, look, simply put, to get to this moment in 2021, where all those things I just mentioned have happened, we had to collectively watch someone lose their life for nine minutes. I, I hate to kind of go there, but it's just the truth. And so I certainly hope that that is not what it takes to retain this moment. I hope that we have learned a lesson in that we are making those systemic changes, including in the theater industry, to be more inclusive, not just on stage, letting more writers have an opportunity to make pitches to producers and having producers take chances on writers, having more Black and Brown and women directors, casting people, and having more apprenticeships for lighting designers, set builders. That's what I would like to see, not just performers on stage. Because when I'm talking about Shuffle Along, I'm talking about in every aspect of the show. And so yeah. that, to me, would be real progress. And then also it not being a one-off, but it being something that is able to just be ingrained. And I'm just so hopeful that everyone who's watched Hamilton and worn out the soundtrack, everyone who's watched In the Heights, that everyone who will watch West Side Story, you know, we might have to wait 15 years or so to see what comes of this generation that is obsessed with these musicals. But boy, I can't wait to see what they create. It was not lost on me that the 2016 Shuffle Along, which told the story of a musical that was a watershed moment for representation that brought a non-conventional score to the legitimate stage, was overshadowed by a show that was a watershed moment for representation that brought a non-conventional score to the stage almost 100 years later. And... In a way, I'm not even mad at what happened to the 2016 Shuffle <laughs> Along. You know, I think if it's going to meet a premature end and sort of be overshadowed in that way, I'll take it. I can't imagine a more perfect way to end this conversation. We come full circle. The 21st century equivalent of Shuffle Along pulls the rug out from under the original. Thank you, Cassine. Thank you. This year, 2021, marks the 100th anniversary of Shuffle Along's opening on Broadway. And this landmark event is being celebrated not just with footnotes, as you've heard, but also with the release of the first full biography of Shuffle Along's composer, which is titled UB Blake, Rags, Rhythm, and Race by Richard Carlin and Ken Bloom. I've had the pleasure of interviewing those authors as well, and in just a few weeks, you'll hear those conversations as we continue this special Broadway Nation miniseries, 100 Years of Shuffle Along. Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong. Special thanks to the Paragon Ragtime Orchestra, who has performed such a tremendous service by recording so much material from the Black musicals and the Black composers of this period. Also, thank you to 101.9 FM, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to the entire team at the Broadway Podcast Network.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.